Well, good morning. It is great to see you this morning. Here's what we have. I want to draw your attention to the uh, bulletin. In the bulletin, we have a couple things that I want to draw your attention to. We do have a new group that's getting started. This is for um, single moms. Uh, This is a big area. Um, Can you turn this down up here for me? Um, Single moms group will be starting. This is something very important that we felt like we have a need here for some young moms who are single, who are walking through... um, being a parent for the first time, and we want to come alongside them, and so we're going to be starting that um, beginning Monday, April 20th, and that's going to be starting, so I want to draw your attention to that. Also, I want to draw your attention to Discipleship University. These are classes that you can just show up for. We have several different classes. When you pick one of the classes on the Discipleship University, you're actually attending for the next two weeks or the next three weeks, okay? So um, you see the dates on there, one of those classes. Pick a class, show up, and we're doing those all at 7 o'clock from 7 to 8 o'clock. We'll be doing those uh, classes, and so that way we did it in a short time period, so that way maybe um, you can't make an eight-week class, you can't make a ten-week class, but you can make a two-week class or a a three-week class, and we want to help you out and make sure that we're we're resourcing you on your faith journey so that you can become what God has called you to do, all right? So want to draw your attention to that and make sure that you're able to get on board. Now, true or false, is this statement in the Bible? All right, you ready? God helps those... Who help themselves. Man, you guys did a fantastic job. George Barna said, when people were asked this question, God helps those who help themselves. Is that found in the Bible? Eight out of ten Americans said that was in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Eight out of ten. So here we go. Now, let's just let's go back and do some research for you real quick. And I want to show you where this statement actually uh, began to creep into American society. Because that's a lot of people. 80% of uh, Americans believe that that statement's in the Bible. So let's go back all the way back. Let's go before Jesus' time. There was a man named Aesop. You remember Aesop? Aesop fables, all that. He wrote this statement. You ready? He wrote, the gods help them that help themselves. Now, that's 500 Jesus. Uh, years before Jesus, there was another Greek philosopher who came along, and here's what he wrote. He said, try first thyself, and after, call on God. You continue on a few hundred years, George Herbert, he said this, help thyself, and God will help thee. Then you come to a man named Benjamin Franklin. He, um, he, he had a, 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 an almanac. Remember this? Poor Richard's almanac. And it was, it was passed around through all the colonies and passed around through all the early years of the American society. And in that, it would give all kinds of great sayings. And some of those sayings are really good. But they became um, deeply embedded into the American culture. And in Benjamin Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac, it actually states, God helps those who help themselves. Now, this is an interesting statement, right? God helps those who help themselves. Now, the question becomes, well, if God helps those who help themselves... How much do I have to do? How much do I have to do? How good do I have to be? How successful do I have to be in order for God to actually help me, right? Would that be the reverse? Because what if, what if I'm completely broken? What if I can't do anything? Can, will God still help me? Well, no, God only helps those who help themselves. That puts us in a big problem, right? So here's what we're doing. We're in a series called Mythbusters, lies that we often believe, and quite often this seeps in, and let me even tell you, uh, there was a, an old joke that kind of highlights even how they, we, we, it's just an undercurrent that we typically 
just buy into. It was that old joke about a, the rainstorms that came, kind of like yesterday where it just comes a downpour and the rains start um, falling and the floods begin to rise. And as the water begins to rise, it begins to flood this man's house. And so he goes up to the second floor and as he gets to the second floor, the water continues to rise. And so finally he gets out of his, uh, the second floor bedroom window onto the roof and he's sitting on the roof and the waters continue to rise. And as the waters continue to rise, he prays this, God, rescue me. And shortly after, a boat comes by. And the boat comes by and says, sir, get in. I'll take you to safety. He says, no, it's okay. God's going to save me. No, sir, really, you need to get in the boat. No, really, God's going God's to save me. So the man goes ahead and leaves. A few hours later, as the water continues to rise, and now the man is having to get up higher on the roof, and the water's starting to hit the roof. Now a, a boat comes by again a couple of hours later and says, sir, you need to get in the boat. The water's going to continue to rise And it's going to get worse. You need to get in the boat. He said, no, it's okay. God will save me. Finally, after just another, about an hour or two, uh, the water continues to rise. And now he's at the, on top of his chimney. And he's sitting on top and the helicopter comes by. And as the helicopter comes by, they let down the rope and says, sir, climb up. We'll get you to safety. And he said, it's okay. God will save me. Shortly after he dies. And he's ticked off. He gets up to the pearly gates and he says, St. Peter, hey, what's going on? I prayed and I asked God to save me. And St. Peter says, well, I'm shocked that you're here. I sent two boats and a helicopter. (laughs) And that's kind of how it goes, isn't it? So God helps those as long as you help yourself do certain things. So here's what we need to understand. we got to figure out how far this needs to go and maybe what part do we believe, maybe what part we don't believe. Now, depending on your background, depending on how you've came up through life, and how you've interacted with God, this is answered in different ways. As a pastor, I get the privilege of being a, a part of people's end-of-life scenarios. And part of the end-of-life scenarios is interesting to watch is how people end up passing on. And as they end up passing on and going into the next world, there are some who, who have never trusted Jesus, and they made it very clear, I have never trusted Jesus my entire life, and you're going, okay, well, sir, right now, This is a perfect time. You're about to enter eternity. Right now, let's pray. You can trust God as your personal Savior. Ask for forgiveness. And you can get things right, right now. And they end up saying something like this. God can never forgive me. God can never forgive me. I've lived too bad. I've done too many things. Pastor, you don't understand what I've done. I don't have to know. You don't even have to confess to me. No, Pastor, you don't understand. God would never forgive me. And there's this undercurrent. Do you understand? You hear it? That I can't, I can't actually get to God because I haven't done enough good to actually get God's forgiveness. Maybe, you, maybe you've had the experience in a little slightly different way where you've invited somebody to church. Have you ever invited somebody to church and they say, you know what, I just I don't know if I'd be accepted there. I don't know, I don't know, and then, then they say, well, what do I have to wear? And then they start thinking about haircuts, or then they start thinking about, well, I've got to, and they try to figure out how to clean themselves up. Let me get things in order. Let me start getting things right before I get to church. And they won't even come, and it takes several months, and they're saying, I'm just trying to get things in, I need to get things in order. Why? Because they're trying to get good enough so that they can come to even church. Let's talk, maybe some of you have come out of a legalistic background. A legalistic background and where, where you earned God's approval by living a certain way. 
wearing certain things or even living, you had to attend church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and even everything in between. And there was all these rules that you had to live by, and it was a way in which you said, okay, i got to earn God's approval. And the question becomes, at what point, at what point do you actually get there where you're good enough so that God approves you? God helps those who help themselves. Maybe you're so success-driven, and you're saying, I just got to achieve a little bit more. I just got to get there. I just got to get to this next level. And once I get to the next level, then, then, I'll, then God will be part of the picture. Then I can get there. So here's what I need to do today, and here's what I think we got to walk through. I think we have to walk through Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this letter. It's a letter to the church at Ephesus. And it is a book that's actually considered one of the prison epistles because Paul is, is under house arrest or either he's in prison. And at this point, he's not able to be free to go and, and minister and start churches and, and, and preach the word of God like he wants to. So instead, for some reason, God has him in prison. And in prison, he writes these, which we now know has been an incredible blessing to us that we've been able to study. And if you, you have never studied the book of Ephesians, can I just encourage you, as, as a young believer, as a believer who's been around, and you haven't ever looked at this book, it's a fantastic book to help build your faith and to build your walk with Christ because it's all about what it means and what it looks like to live in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 2 is where we need to go today. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. So follow along with me if you would. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. (laughs) Isn't that an amazing statement? Not, Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I am so thankful for this day, and I'm thankful for your love, your goodness, your mercy, your grace. I am so thankful that truly to be in Christ, I'm able to be connected to God the Father. What an incredible blessing. I pray today, as we've celebrated through song, we've celebrated through sending out some of our own to be missionaries around the world. God, I pray that today you've been glorified. And now as we get into this moment, I'm praying for your Holy Spirit to fill this place in such an incredible way that, God, we know when we walk out of here that we've heard from you. God, I pray that you'd guide my thoughts, guide my words, and I pray that truly 
I would speak what you would have. And today I pray that you would cause the dead to come alive. In Jesus' precious name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here's where we need to start. So God helps those who helped themselves. The question becomes, what can you do? What can you do? So let's get started and let's find out what we can do. Verse number one, and you were dead. Okay, stop right there. So what can you do? Okay, let's define the word dead. Dead means, dead means, so I can do nothing. I know this has seemed so remedial and it seems so simple, but I can do, I can do, you guys are coming along, I can do, yeah, we got it, all right, so look at the person next to you and say, you can't do anything. All right, some of you, some of you ladies had too much excitement on that one, all right, <laughs> all right, I can do nothing, you can do nothing, so here we go, I can do nothing, dead means you're dead, all right, now we're walking through this. So if I can do nothing, then we have to start looking at this idea that God helps those who help themselves, but yet I can do nothing. So how does this work? We need to understand what really dead means so we don't play with this thought. If dead means dead, here's what it says. I'm dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. Wait a minute. I walked, and then it says here's how you walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. This is how you walked. So here's the problem. We actually have dead men walking. Now, we're not walking towards our death. We actually have dead men and women who are walking around. We have this illusion that we're really alive. We have the illusion that we're really good. We have the illusion that, hey, everything that we have going on in our lives, this is really good. We're really alive, but yet we're spiritually dead. So here's where it begins to play out. We're walking in this world. We're living. We're eating. We're interacting we're having jobs, we're, we're being educated, we have all these good things that are happening, we're getting married, we're having kids, and there's idea of life all around us, and it says that we're following certain things, that we're following what the world says that we should believe. What is the greatest problem that the world has? What is the number one problem that we need to solve as humanity? Is it, is it hunger? Is it world hunger? Is it poverty? What is the greatest need? Is it education? Is it pride? What's the number one problem? See, the way in which we define it, it begins to to outline for us what we think is the answer. It gives us the answer, but really, truly, is it the government? Is it that we have broken governments all around? Is that the problem? The number one problem, listen, you ready? The number one problem in the world is that we're dead. Is that we're spiritually dead. And there's nothing that we can do to make it happen. If you're dead, you can do nothing. Now, you can have the world teaching us, this is how you should think. So our government comes along and says, what we need is we need a better government. Then we say, okay, we need to educate. That's what's going to happen. If we educate, then everybody's going to be smarter. And now all we have is really educated people. But that's going to solve all the world's problems. We need better medical facilities. And we all try to work out the problem. But the problem is that we're dead. And we have this illusion because we're walking around and we're living that we're actually fixing the problem. Does that make sense? It makes us feel like we're doing something, but yet we're really not. And so we began to buy into the world's philosophy and say, okay, this is what we need. 
Benjamin Franklin, I alluded to him earlier because he's such a brilliant man. Last, last year, I had the privilege, my family and I, we went up uh, to the Washington, D.C. area. Then we stopped by Philadelphia. And we, we did a tour there in Philadelphia of, of Benjamin Franklin's estate. And we kind of got to see some different things. And so I did pick up poor Richard's Almanac and a couple other things. But Benjamin Franklin, as smart as he was and as brilliant as he was with all of his inventions, with all the different things that he started... He had a friend. His, his friend's name was George Whitfield. George Whitfield is a, uh, a, was a traveling evangelist. And for over 30 years, George Whitfield and, and Benjamin Franklin would interact. And George Whitfield would explain the gospel and would call him to um, say, hey, you need to be saved. And, and Benjamin Franklin, he, had a, he, he, he was okay with the God, but he wasn't okay with salvation and needing it. And so they're talking back and forth. And Benjamin Franklin wrote this. Whitfield used to pray for my conversion but never had the satisfaction of believing that his prayers were heard. As death began to approach and, and Franklin was about to die, he saw no reason to actually believe since he said, shortly I will know whether he was true or false. We begin to believe the lie and we, we believe that we're alive and because we're alive and we're able to do, here's what happens, it says, the prince, did you see that we're following the prince? The God of this world, Corinthians, Paul later writes in Corinthians, he says that the God of this world has blinded our eyes and blinded us so that we can't actually see. And so what begins to happen is we have dead men walking and there's no spiritual life and yet they feel like they're spiritually alive because all the life is happening. They're being educated. They're having great philosophical debates. They can even have spirituality, but yet we're failing because we're dead. So follow along. So what begins to happen even in our society, even in church world, is this. That we want to have bigger, better churches. That we want to program bigger, better churches. Now follow me. And what we begin to do is cause an illusion that we're successful. And yet spiritually, we're not actually helping and seeing people come alive. You following this? There's a danger because we begin to become blinded by the God of this world, saying, well, oh, we're successful, and yet people are not spiritually becoming alive. So here we go. So they're blinded. They're dead. Now, in order to illustrate what really dead looks like, I want to help, and I'm not going to show you something too gruesome, but I want to show you this, this guy. There was a man um, who, who was a 19th century philosopher over in, in England. His name was Jeremy Bentham. And... He wanted to give his estate to the um, hospital, the college hospital, there in London. And in order to give his estate, he died in 1832. In order to give his estate, here's what he said. I want to be present. I want to be present at the school. I want to be present in the board meetings. I want to be present. But he's dead. So here's what they did. They mummified his body. So they mummified his body. And in the process of mummifying his body, his skin turned bright red. So it was kind of hard to actually present him with bright red skin. So they took off his head, and they put his head down at the bottom. You see the, the picture? That's his real head. And so they put a different head on him just so that way it kind of would look a little bit better. And then underneath those clothes, that's his real body since 1832. And so he's in the case. So when you walk down the hall there at the college hospital there in London, you actually see him sitting there in that case. Now, just to push it a little bit further, in 1975, 
Um, the Crosstown rivals another college, uh, King's College. The college students wanted to pray, play a prank, as college students do. They stole the head. <laughs> they broke into the school, stole the head, and then stealing the head, then they held it for ransom. Okay, the college couldn't get it back unless they paid for the ransom. Now, the money went to charity, and that's all good, but that's fine. So they paid and got the money, paid it, it went into charity, and they got the head back. So now, if you go to London, the head's not actually going to be down at the bottom because they don't want somebody to steal the head again. Today, he's actually visited board meetings, and he actually gets, he actually gets invites. I'm not kidding. I'm not making, I can't make this up. He actually gets invites to different school events. And so as long as he doesn't have to go up the stairs, they will him in, and he's a part of events. And at the board meetings that he shows up to, because he doesn't show up to all of them, but at the ones he shows up to, they actually write, Jeremy Bentham, present, but not voting. Okay, now, follow me. He's present. His Physical body's present, but does he know he's there? Why? He's dead. Did he know that his head was stolen? <laughs> it sounds stupid, right? Okay, come on, follow me. Did, did he know his head was stolen? Did he know his head was even not even on the same campus? No, because he's dead. He has no idea. Now, the reason I'm bringing this out is because we get frustrated when somebody doesn't understand when we start talking about God and they don't want it. And they want to use all the other philosophies. They want to use all the other arguments. And we get so frustrated when they don't understand. You're going, come on, don't you understand? The problem is that they're, you catch that? So they have no idea. And they don't understand what's going on. And we understand if we've become spiritually alive, we understand But they're dead and they can't understand. So here's what has to happen. You ready? So if God helps those who help themselves, I can do nothing because I'm dead, then we need an answer that's outside of us. Are you following? We need an answer that's outside of who we are. So where does the answer come from? This is where the passage gets incredibly amazing. Look what it says now. Go go down to... Verse 4, I have two words circled, but God. It's outside of us. You can't do it. I can do nothing, but God can do everything. Did you see that? I can do nothing. God can do. I can do nothing, but God can do. I can do nothing, but God can do. Man, now you guys are catching on. This is incredible, isn't it? But God, God shows up where you can't show up. God does what you can't do. Now watch what he does. He begins to lay it out. And and Paul gives us about five words that are priceless to us. I can do nothing. God can do everything. So, But God shows up being rich in mercy. You see that word, mercy? Mercy is that he covers us and he shields us from what we really deserve. He shields us. He stops what we really deserve and it no longer is able to penetrate us. What do we really deserve? Sin, the wages of sin is death. 
That's what we deserve. We deserve not only physical death, but eternal separation from God. We deserve death. But God's mercy, who's rich in mercy, shows up and he shields us from the death that we actually deserve. You following this? I love this. Because I couldn't get out of it myself. I have no answer. I have no answer for the sin payment that I owe. But God has an answer who's rich in mercy. And he shields me. And as he shields me, watch the next word. Who's rich in mercy. And now, it says, because of the great love with which he loved us. Look at that next word, love. Do you see it? Mercy, now love. The greatest motivation, the greatest gift that God does is that he actually gives love. And he's motivated by love. God was not motivated out of regret to help us. God's not motivated by manipulation. He's not trying to manipulate you and show you love. Here's why I know that. Because the next part of the verse is God loves us when we were dead in our trespasses. When we were dead to sin. When we were his enemy, God still loved us. Now follow along. If God only helps those who help themselves, in the midst of the very point that I am dead in my trespasses and I am God's enemy, is there any way that God could have or should have loved me if he only helps those who help themselves? You see that? If I'm dead in my sin and my sin makes me the enemy of God and I hate God and I don't want God in my life, then there's no reason that God should love. But God is so much larger. He's rich in his mercy. He shields us from what we deserve. And now he gives us his love. And it's the greatest motivation. Because he loves us without needing anything in return. He loves us when I had nothing to give him. Did you catch that? I had nothing to offer. He loves He loves, and watch what he does now. Not only does he love, and it says that he made us alive together. Alive. What is the only gift that a dead man really wants? Is life. Now, listen, you can go, and if this is pretty raw for you, I'm really sorry. But if you're dead, you don't want food. You don't want to go to a ball game. You don't want to go to a Rangers game. You don't want to go to a board meeting. The only thing that you want would be life. And you don't even know that you want it because you're dead. And here's what it says, that Jesus does something amazing. He gives us grace. He gives us love. And now he causes us to become alive. Hello. I couldn't do this on my own because I was dead. So he makes us come alive. And as he makes us come alive, he sets us where? In the heavenlies, in Christ, I'm now in the heavens. Watch. What we want, what we really want, is we want to connect with God, and we'll do whatever it takes to figure out how to connect with God, and we'll try all kinds of weird things, and and we want to connect with God. But I can't even connect with God until Christ makes me come alive and sets me in the heavenlies. It's Christ who does it. It's in Christ. And now, this person who doesn't deserve God He sets me in the heavenlies, and now I get to come into the presence of God Almighty. I can't do that on my own. Are you following this? Because to actually come into the presence of God with all my sin would actually require 
true death, I'd be destroyed. But because I come in the presence of God through Christ, because he's made me alive and sits me there, I now get fellowship and I now get interaction and I now can come boldly into the throne of grace. Do you see it? It allows me to actually be able to pray right here. I don't have to come, I don't have to go to a priest, I don't have to come to church, I don't have to, I can pray wherever I'm at. I can pray where I'm driving, keep your eyes open. But I, I can pray as, does that make sense? I can, I can pray and I can walk, and I get to come into the presence of God because I've now been made alive. Paul continues, he says, okay, you've been made alive, you're now seated in the heavenlies. Now Watch. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He does it for his glory. He does it for his purpose. He does it to demonstrate how great he is. He didn't have to do anything, but yet he does it for us. And then it says, for by grace you're saved through faith. Guys, listen to this word, grace. You ready? Grace comes and now gives us something we have no right to. I have no right to salvation I have no right to actually be in the heavens I have no right for for God to save my soul but now mercy he shielded shielded me from what I deserved and now he gives grace he gives what I don't deserve to me there was an acrostic maybe you remember the acrostic it uses the letters to spell out what grace means it was grace God's riches at Christ's expense God's riches, he's giving it to us at Christ's expense. It cost me nothing, it cost Christ everything. And he gives it out and he says, this is what I'm giving to you. Now it's a gift. How do you receive the gift? How does a dead man actually receive the gift? The gift is really simple. You remember the the story of Lazarus who died? He was a friend of Jesus and he died. And he'd been in the, the, the grave how many days? Do you remember? He'd been in the grave four days. So he'd been in the grave four days. His sister said, Jesus, don't remove the stone. He stinks already. Don't do it. And Jesus says, move the stone back. And then Jesus calls out to a dead man. And what does he say? Lazarus, come forth. What is the response of a dead man? The response is simply to say, yes. It's to respond. God comes along and he offers a gift to all dead men. And he offers this gift. And what does the dead man receive? All he has to do, he can't do enough good works. He can't come to church enough. He can't be baptized. You can't get clean enough to receive the gift. You just simply have to receive it, to respond, to say yes. Through what? Through faith. And it's God who gives that faith to help you come alive, to cause you to be able to respond and say, yes, that's what I want. And watch. He now comes along, and here's what he says. For by grace you've been saved. This is not your own doing. It's a gift. It's not your doing. You can't do it. You can't do it over and over again. And we stop there, and it says, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Okay. So I played this out. Maybe many of you are going, hey, Heath, you know, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I am saved, and this is great. I, I, I really needed just to make sure I, I got it. I, salvation, I, I can't do it. I'm trusting Jesus Christ. And maybe for some, some of you are going, you know what? Maybe that's what I need to do. I need to get saved and I need to just trust. Because at this point, God's calling. He's saying, yes, that's what you need. You need to believe. You need to trust me. I need you to respond in a positive way. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe most of us in here would say, hey, Heath, I've already done that. So 
here's the next part of how I think it gets really good. This next part has become so freeing. The next part says this, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God has already done what? Prepared. So here we go. You ready? I want to I help make sure we set some people free on this. If my salvation wasn't dependent on me and I couldn't earn it and I couldn't get there. I couldn't get God's approval. So God helps those who help themselves. No, I can do nothing. God is the one who's doing it. So I can't even get saved without God helping and doing, right? Watch this next part. I'm his workmanship after salvation to do what he's called me to do and watch. So my successes are not really mine. It was God who gave me the talent. It was God who gave me the ability. It was God who gave me the opportunity. He had already prepared it ahead of time. Do you tra- are you tracking with this? So here's where we get confused. God, thank you for salvation, and then we leave it there, and then we think the Christian life is just about kind of just moving and going, and God's not really a part of it. And that's not how it works. You see, it's God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. It's all of that being reenacted that God has actually prepared for me right now something that he wants me to do, and it's all about his glory, and it's all done through his power, and it's all done in him, and I have nothing really to do except to say yes and respond in a positive way. You see, I didn't, have, I didn't choose the parents I had. I didn't choose where I was born. I didn't choose what time I was born. I didn't choose what, I could have been born 100 years earlier or 100 years later. God is the one who put me in this time, in this place, in this moment, with these gifts, with these talents. I have nothing to do with it. The only thing that I am responsible for is to respond in the way in which God has told me to, he's created me. Are you following So that way, I get no credit for this. I get zero credit, except that I was faithful with what God has put in front of me. Because it's him who's working through. It's him doing it all. And I just get to be along for the ride and say, thank you, and I'll respond yes every time. See, Peter and Martha, God started working in their life and saying, you need to do something more. And he gave you the talents, he gave you the abilities, he gave you the background, and now you're saying, okay, It's going to cost us something, and this is where we stop. It's going to cost too much so we don't go any further. That's right. I can't really do that, but you're right. You can't do it. Here's where God wants to move you. As long as you keep doing everything that you're doing on your own power, then you're not even close to where you're in God's power. You're not even close to what God's called you to be. Check, track, come on. If you're doing it and everything that you're doing can be done in your own power, then you're not truly following at this level. It's only when you take those steps and God begins to say, I want to use you, but you're going to have to trust me. And it's going to be in my power, not yours. And that's where God is calling us for his glory, to demonstrate his riches and his grace and his mercy. And then you step back. And when you've stepped out and you said, okay, God, I don't know how to do it. I don't know where you're going to go. I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy of you actually calling me. I don't even, who who would have thought of calling somebody from Dumas, Texas? Dumas. That's weird. That's where I grew up. If you didn't, (laughs) it's just weird. And then you begin to become amazed. Well, man, God's using me this way. That's amazing. 
God's using this. And, and as you take those steps, it's like, wow. Workmanship created and prepared beforehand. And my response is simply to say, yes, yes, yes. And when I respond, he keeps moving forward and saying, in my power in Christ, in what I've given you, I'm going to do something, not for Heath's glory, but for my glory, to demonstrate to others the riches of God's grace and mercy and love. There's this story a couple years ago. It was a movie that was out. It was called uh, The Last Emperor. I don't know if you ever saw it. The Last Emperor, and it was about a child who becomes the emperor in China. And so he becomes the emperor, and he, he, he's growing up, and he's being told how that he is a god, and he, whatever he says, he can do no wrong. And so his brother asked him in this movie, his brother asked him, what happens when you do wrong? And the, and the little child says, when I do wrong, somebody else gets beaten for it. And the brother's trying to understand it, and so the, 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 the child, the emperor, takes a, a, a jar, and he throws it on the ground. And when he throws it on the ground, they take a servant and beat the servant. Because the emperor can do no wrong. And what we have with Jesus Christ is the creator God who is the emperor of all. He comes to this earth. And here's the beauty, you ready? His creation, his servants, us, we do the wrong. And instead of being punished, he offers through his love, his grace, his mercy. He offers to take our place, and he, the creator, the emperor, takes our punishment. It's an amazing gift. And when we get to that point of saying it's an amazing gift, we now begin to say, okay, thank you. That's what you've done, and it humbles us when we get to be in his service, when we get to be a part of his workmanship, when we get to be a part of what he's doing. And it humbles us, and it says, man, Jesus, if you love me that much, even when I was your enemy, I can't help, I can't help but to serve. I can't help but just to do something, whatever. And you get excited about standing at a door. You get excited about being a servant. You get excited about going and helping in the kids' class. You get excited about serving in any way possible. Why? Because you can't help it because your emperor, your savior, your Jesus, your creator has given you so much. What an incredible way to end. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, your mercy, causing me to come alive, placing me in the heavenly so now that I can talk and interact with God so that I can be connected. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your goodness, your mercy, your grace. And God, amazing how that you care for us and that you want to work through us, that we are your workmanship. So, Father, we say thank you. Thank you for not putting us on the shelf. So, Father, I pray that you would help dead men come alive. God, I pray that today you would help dead women come alive. Father, for those of us who have trusted you as our personal Savior, I pray. I pray that we would truly be honored and humbled by what you've given us. And I'm asking, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to willingly, gladly give back to you in the ways in which you've called us to our talents, gifts, and our opportunities. In Jesus' name, amen.